Welcome back to the Hotcast. I am your host, Chicago Fire Editor at Hot Time and Old Time Ruben Kitchen. Joining me, as always, is RJ. RJ, that was a week of soccer, as it yeah. turns out. Sort of. A week of, I would say, apart from the field, a good soccer, though. That's my well, take. I, I, I wasn't. I mean, we'll talk about it, obviously, because that's yeah. sort of what our podcast is. Um, I kind of agree with you, but um, there were a lot of conversations, at least during the game for me, on Twitter about what the, what everything, the, you know, the whole oeuvre of the team and... and you were at the game, so I assume you heard the wiki out chance. Yep, for the Nashville game. Yeah. Wasn't there for the Revs, uh, surprisingly. But um, the, the team put up a fight for the Revs. But um, for the Nashville game, yeah, um, towards the end of the game, they were saying wiki out. Which is funny to me because of all the games they've had this season, uh, I think the Nashville one was where wiki was probably the least deserving of the wiki out chance just you know because he um they weren't terrible and they had a game plan to prevent um because while you know no cj sapong uh no um god i can't pronounce his name um What's his name? Medunin or whatever? Um, he was on the bench and didn't play. Uh, the guy who scored twice the week before. Against and Toronto, I believe? Against Miami. No, Miami. Um, yeah. Mukhtar. Uh, Medunin is a different guy. Hany Mukhtar. Uh, yeah, Mukhtar, who scores a bunch of goals for them. And, he, and CJ Spong obviously didn't travel. Um, but aside from that, like, Leal's good, and um, Cadiz has done okay for himself. Um, looking at his stats for the year, uh, he's you know got two goals, two assists in with you know only seven starts and only like six hundred minutes. Um, plus, he's a young kid, right? I think. Uh, he's 26. His first year in the league was last year. Um, so like he, he's pretty good, if not a goal scoring machine. Um, but I thought the fire played well, considering that all of the things we know about the fire and their lack of everything, um, you know, also appeared. At this point, I think we're kind of grading the fire on a curve in some respects because we know what they're good at and we know what they're bad at and we know what they're mediocre at. So when the mediocre things are good as well as the good things, the things they're bad at, you know, ultimately are the things that cause them to win or not win games. And of course, I'm, t I'm talking primarily about goal scoring when I say the things they're bad at. They're bad at goal scoring. 
their midfield passing and, and their ability to control the game is good, but and their defense is mediocre. So when the defense has an above average game and the midfield is their good selves, like against Nashville, obviously we know what the problem is. Because if you look at the numbers against Nashville, right, I'm just going to go down the list, right? Uh, possession, 63%. Uh, shots on goal were four to three in favor of Nashville. So that's pretty much even, uh, the fire had three of their shots blocked. They had 518 total passes with a passing accuracy of 83.8%. They had more corners. They had more crosses by one. So that one's even, they had one offside to Nashville's four, obviously, there were a couple more times Robert Barrett was offside that they didn't pass to him to lead to the flag going up. And we will talk about that because that's part of the whole big picture discussion I kind of want to have. Uh, they won more duels than they lost. Uh, tackles were 6-5 to five to Nashville. So again, even 4 saves to 3. So Nashville was obviously less wasteful with their five shots to the fire's eight. Uh, 26 clearances to 23, 13, 13, even on fouls, even on yellow cards. So, statistically speaking, the fire were better. Oh, by the way, uh, the fire's passing percentage in the final third, which is a, an interesting stat, 68.8% uh, and their percentage uh percentage of pass completion percentage in uh the attacking half of the pitch was 73.2 so they're passing the ball well and they're creating chances so because one of the things you keep hearing about you know robert barrett's problem is always oh, not getting service but the fact of the matter is he's getting service or at yeah, least they're putting the ball in, in position. There's just no – he's just got nothing for you. Um, but, the, but you have to realize, like, at what point will the fire just grow out of being, you know, statistically good? Because, you know, using – Yeah, because using contemporary examples, I mean, statistically, the fire was also good in Rapanovic and – to some extent, yeah. So, uh, not really. No, they were not statistically good under Yalop. Yeah, sometimes, I, sometimes, am I thinking of Bliss? I'm probably thinking of Bliss. Well, it, it was Bliss and Yallop, and then Bliss fired Yallop and hired Ponovich. I'm thinking it was probably during Bliss's term, but. That's that's still a contemporary example. I mean, the fire need to escape out of being good on paper, being good, you know, on stat board, and actually producing results. And I think a, a large part with Nashville also, I mean, and, you know, with the Revs, they, they were good, but they just couldn't finish. At times, they couldn't defend in the case of um, with the Revs. So, and I actually think that if the field wasn't so horrible um, on Sunday, I believe, 
that uh, Nashville would have walked through them. I think actually helped out the fire in a way. I think you're partially correct. Um, but I also think the fire probably score at least a goal. Uh, if the pitch is bad or better. Yeah. Um, but the fire it was, was, it was affecting both teams. You can't, you can't really say one way or the other. Um, it was affecting both teams. I don't, I don't know that it was affecting Nashville more than the fire because especially in the beginning of the game, Nashville came out and pressed the fire hard and forced a bunch of turnovers early. I think they forced themselves through from the beginning part of them. After that, they just uh, wore themselves out because their, their head coach, um, he has the most generic name ever, but I can't seem to remember it. Gary Gary Smith. Smith. (laughs) Um, he was complaining about the field while uh, Wiki was nonchalant about it. He even said it is what it is. So. Well, yeah. Well, Wiki, yeah. Wiki said, yeah, the field's bad, but we have to play on it, and they have to play on it too. So, so, so I think, and, and like the fire, the fire, especially, we know. I think the fire are used to it by now. Well, no, they they hate it. We know they hate it. They hate it. But they're probably used to it. Sure. Um, but at this, at the same time, you know, the way the team's built, they want, you know, free flowing ball on the deck kind of passes. You can't really do that with the field like that. So in a sense, um, the fire don't really want to play on that kind of field either. So I, I, I get what you're saying that they play there, that they're used to it, but they'd rather they, not. They, they don't want to play on there, but... And, you know, to their credit, they can adjust themselves to play on, you know, horrible conditions. The only really and, place they can't play is Yankee Stadium. Well, it's a baseball field. Right. Well, that, that's, my, that's my point. It's, the size is, matters. Um, I'm moving on. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Um, being honest, the the pitch was pretty unacceptable. I think the park district did the fire an absolute disservice by putting Notre Dame, Wisconsin, in Soldier Field a day before the fire had a match. Uh-huh. If anything, if anything, they should have played this game at SeatGeek instead of Wednesday against New York City. Well, they could have played Notre Dame, Wisconsin, up in Evanston or. I don't know. What other football stadiums are out there? Um, DePaul? Oh, no, they have a soccer field. Um, it could have played in Arlington Park as a preview of what's to come once the Bears move out there. Yeah. They could have played out in DeKalb. So. <laughs> no, the entire point was them playing in a... Which I, I don't actually understand because as far as I know, Notre Dame's home stadium has a higher capacity than Soldier Field does. They could have played up in Green Bay. They were supposed to play in Green Bay last year. Oh, COVID. It was like a Bears Packers stadium swap deal thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um back to the fire, I guess. Um Do we have Yeah. To? <laughs> yeah. Because I, 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 I do genuinely want to answer your question about what the fire need to do in order to go from a team that it looks statistically good to a team that wins games. And it's honestly just a simple um, fix. This is MLS, though. You can swap out right. a couple of players and, like, literally overnight, 
he can become a super team, and that's the magic. Or the the answer loss. is sign a superstar. That's that's the answer. I don't right? think. I mean, yeah, you need to sign a superstar in, uh, for butts and seats, but no, no, I don't. I don't mean. But like, if you look you, at you the can, team, you can sign a competent player with superstar abilities. Is that what you're trying to say, or is that? Well, I mean, that what you want to if, say? if it well, that's a superstar. I'm including guys like you know, um, Frederico Higuain. Do you really want Higuain? No, I I just mean like this kind of player level of player. I don't mean when I say superstar, I don't mean Messi, Mbappe. You know, I mean like uh, Diego Chara or. Um, you know, like Bradley Wright Phillips, or in thinking of more names, you know, from the past, from names from the past, like Salcedo, or um, you know, Kubo Torres when he was still like at the peak of his power. It's like a superstar, a superstar level talent in MLS does not mean a big name, but it does mean, uh, you know. He didn't play, but like Mukhtar or Gustavo Bo, um, players who are, you know, good enough to be better than the rest of the players in the league. And you don't need to, um, you know, have that be like a big name butts and seats guy. But you got to go out and get a guy like that. I mean, the fire um, did have someone like that recently. I mean, Nikolic. Right. But Nikolic is actually a very good example. Um, you got to go out and get a guy. You got to go out and get uh, Nemanja Nikolic, who, like like we said, his goal production was down, but he was still scoring, you know, 8 to 12 goals a season, which is perfectly fine as a striker in MLS. Yeah, I mean, because, we, yeah. we've said it on Twitter. If he was offside, you know, one minute, he'll he'll make sure he'll score the next one. Right. His offsides were, you know how like a race car, a racer, racing driver, like drive on, on like a practice day will um, spin out to find the limits of what he can do and what he can't do on a given day. That's what Barrett, or, uh, not Barrett, that's what Nikolic's offsides were because he was, testing and testing and testing and then eventually he'd get it right and put it in the back of the net whereas robert barish's offsides are just laziness inattention um just losing where he is in relation to what the game what the game's going on um, and and what the team needs from him that those are the things that separates Nikolic and why his offsides were okay and and, and in a sense why O4's offsides are okay because O4 kind of does the same thing he's offside and then the next time a similar player he needs to make a similar run he'll hold it for just that second and be onside, regardless of whether or not you know he he manages to finish the play like Nico does. O four offsides are you know clearly him trying to see what he can get away with, where Barrich obviously is just inattentiveness, 
and just a, a lack of care about his game individually, um, which is not a good thing, obviously. I think that ultimately his signing was a mistake. Um, they did, you know, the, the, it has to be said the highlight of his signing was his announcement video, right? It was, it was cute for the first one watch. I got over it pretty quick, to be honest. Sure. sure. I, I mean, I did too, because I looked at his numbers, right? And like, his number is not so good. Um, and you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this confidently. Um, you know, when Barrage finally moves on, I think he will also be a bust in his next team. Well, I th- what what I think is I think he's going to score a bunch of goals in his next team. And then the next season, or maybe even in the second half of the season, you know, smart coaches are going to figure him out and um, he, he's not going to score anymore. Uh, what I'm going to hate, though, if you are correct on that, is the I told you so that we'll see pop up on Twitter. And then later on, they'll finally see that Barrett just, you know, regardless of the team, is is it going to do not? Well, we've gotten a little bit of that with Frankowski, right? He <laughs> scored. Frankowski. He, he scored on the weekend for Lens, and it was a great goal. No, but I mean, like. In, in terms of Frankowski, Frankowski is frustrating because we know he could be good, but. Only when he chooses to be good. Uh, with Barrich, he's just bad. Yeah, it's fair. But I mean, you're right, and, and like we're start, we we see it with Mahalovic, who, you know, people see Jordi Mahalovic succeeded with Montreal and be like, oh, he could have can he could have stayed and done it here. But the fact of the matter is, Jordi Mahalovic couldn't have been as good as he is in Montreal here. Not but, not merely because the team in Montreal around him is is a little better than you know who he's playing with here, and that he's had a coach who, unlike you know Pavlovich, sort of figured out where he was good and where to play him because Wiki kind of figured it out here too. The fact of the matter is, Jordi Mihaljevic was a locker room problem a little bit. I don't know how big it was, but but. There's enough innuendo out there to say that it wasn't on-field stuff for the re- that was the reason why Mihailovic moved on and why the team moved on from Mihailovic. So when you move a player who you know feels like obviously. Um, by the way, before someone you know turns us off, and, and uh, I just want to point out, everybody is correct about CJ Sapong. Letting CJ Sapong walk was a bad move because it was, he a, want- it was a bad move from the beginning. Because you know? he wanted to stay here, first of all. Um, so he's different from Mihailovic in the fact that you know CJ Sapong wanted to stay. So and, did Dax. Right, and, and so did Dax. D- Dax, I think. Um, 
is interesting because I, I think that while ultimately a bad move and you have to count it as a negative in the uh, count it as a check mark in the negative column for um, evaluating George Heights, I th- honestly think he thought that they moved on from Dax because they thought Lucas Stojanovic was that dude. And then Lucas Stojanovic just tears, just, you know, well, tears, wasn't, tears a knee ligament. Wasn't Pineda supposed to be the original Dax replacement? Yeah. And then in he had terms to play of, yes. you know, positioning. Right. Yes. And then he had to play center back. And as it turns out, he's actually kind of a really good center back too. So, but, and, and then they bring in Luca and then Luca, you know, ruins his knee 25 minutes into his fire career or whatever. So I understand the Dax bit. That makes sense in that respect, right? So you, you, you already had his replacement here. His replacement is better offensively than Dax McCarty, right? Lucas Dojanovic clearly better in the final third than Dax McCarty. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, Stojanovic is a goal scorer. Dax scored one goal during his fire tenure. I mean, right. But if on the field and, and positionally, you're thinking of Lucas Stojanovic as your Dax McCarty replacement. Once you, once you brought him in, you brought him in essentially to sort of be that sort of Dax McCarty replacement alongside Alvaro Madron in midfield. Cause you, because that's how they started the season playing. Um, this I, year. I, I actually so, kind of disagree. I think, uh, I mean, once they you know shifted Pineda to center back, I think uh, Madron and Jimenez was supposed to fill up that, you know, um, that Dax role. And then when you know everything, all those injuries. Happened, well, the, the other thing is the, the other thing is Madron is also better offensively than Dax McCarty. Yeah. So if you're putting Madron in the McCarty spot, Madron's better offensively than Dax McCarty. This and you know Dax McCarty is great. I love Dax McCarty. This isn't a slight on Dax McCarty. What I'm saying is, I understand with the pieces they had in place, the moving on from Dax McCarty does make sense, right? From a, a, a strategic tactical point of view, um, it does. But and especially just... especially if we're looking at the 2020 season. This is another hot take of mine, though. I think losing Dax is much more... It's way more awful than um, losing Lisa yeah. Pong because right. Dax was a leader, something to stabilize the locker room, which, right. you know, evidently, with certain players in this locker room, we've already, you know, discussed those players at Newsom in pre- previous episodes, but it, it seems like there's no one, you know, laying down the hammer in the locker room. Well, here's the thing... Well, Right, but the thing is, you also have to remember they made a bet on Francisco Calvo oh, that think, they lost. No, I, no, I, I think they. I'm right. I think they know that Calvo was that player. I mean, surely then after why did they, what, then why did they resign him and make him the club captain? You know what? I think it's just they're because they're just dumb. I mean. I well, think obviously I, they're dumb because I, they I thought think, Francisco Calvo was going to be that. Um, that guy off the field that Dax McCarty was because they had the Dax McCarty on-field replacement. And then 
you have the Dax McCarty off-field replacement than it I, was supposed to be Francisco Calvo. I, 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 actually, that, I actually think it's just a lapse of judgment because surely... Well, that, that's my point, is that the Francis, Francisco Calvo L is the big L, right? The L that they're taking on Francisco Calvo is the entire reason... The reason why they thought that they could get rid of Dax McCarty was because, A, they had, like we've discussed, they had his on-field replacement already in the team. And they thought they had his leadership replacement in the team. And obviously, they were wrong about the leadership replacement. Whether you think that they were also wrong about the on-field replacement it is a debate that can be had, but there is no debate about the fact that they were wrong about the leadership replacement. Is my point. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. And, you know, and they, as, as they, what I said, as, as what Wiki said recently, it is what it is at this point. So. Right, and, and they thought they had a goal score replacement in Robert Barrett when they didn't. That's probably why they only brought in children they only signed striker children instead of another you know legitimate um striker and and i want to hammer this home because one of like going back i guess going back going forward because all this happens we're we're having this discussion here on the hotcast because of specifically the wiki out chance against nashville and i think Everything that has gone on that is wrong is bigger than Raphael Wiki. I think I think Raphael Wiki's a good coach. And he's shown me there, there's been flashes of him being a good coach. Right? I think he's a better coach than Velko Panovic is. Um he's he's clearly a better coach than Frank Yallop was because Frank Yallop Frank Yallop's problem was tactical because he couldn't play modern football. He was too busy sleeping and picking right. his nose. But I mean I mean he the the game passed him by it is sort of what I'm getting at. Whereas I don't think um, Wiki has that problem. I think his his tactical understanding of the game is very good. And I think that Wiki's biggest problem is the fact that George Heinz didn't give him a roster with good enough pieces. And I've always thought that. And the fact that he was able to cobble together a back line that's been able to you know that's better than last year and also better than at the beginning of the season. You know, putting Pineda at sweeper and going with a a five-player defense was really smart and figuring out that that's sort of what he had to do to get some sort of defensive production out of this team. Um, I don't think a lot of coaches would have done that. I think they would have played a back four and 
played the entire season with a back four and just say that this is my system. You know, this four five one with um, interchangeable uh, outside backs and wingers uh, is my system, and that's what we're going to do. But Wiki changed his system in the middle of a season and got it to work. That by itself, you know, tells me that bought him another year as head coach. Oh, yeah. I mean, at this point, it all depends, you know, during the winter transfer market. And Mm -hmm. I I hope I have to act accordingly. And here's the thing about George Heitz is George Heitz has had more hits than misses, I think. Obviously, his giant miss is Francisco Calvo. We talked about this ad nauseum. Did, did George Heights... No, oh, resigning Calvo, what you mean? Yes. Or, okay. Resigning Calvo was his one big miss. I would actually probably say um, he has more misses. Really? I, I, mean, I mean, Calvo, resigning Calvo, Robert Barrich. Calvo Barrich, I've never been too keen on uh, Gaston Jimenez. Even, you know, before I would, this I wouldn't debacle. Put, I wouldn't put Jimenez as a hit, but I don't think he's a miss. He's like a foul ball, if anything. Um, right. He, he, contact has been made. And um, and also with Alcena, he's another foul ball. I'm, I sorry, for, I'm, I'm sorry for the I'm, baseball. I, it's fine. Jerry Jerry's still out on Alcena for me. Um, I think that he's sort of in a Lucas Stojanovic problem where they don't know what to do with him. But unlike Stojanovic, who has done a lot of things off the pitch to make up for that fact. And I don't just mean, I mean, you know, I, I actually think, I mean, yeah. Um, I will say it is promising, but aren't all young players technically promising? Nope. Nope. You can I you can show me tape. No, well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by promising, right? I think Alaseda has a lot of skill, but nothing to show for. I think Alaseda's problems are more mental than physical, and I don't mean intelligence-wise. I mean, um, I think he's got some emotional growing to do, obviously. Um, he's got some. That's that's. I mean, that's no excuse. You know, I mean, look at the other young kids. You know, plucked out from South America and brought into here. They've adapted really well. Look at Tehran. Some have, but but then this this goes back to the leadership. Yeah. Thing, I think, I think, I think, I think Tehran is different because. He's had no real mental adversity like Ali Seda has because he's just come in and he's he's quick and he's big. So he can play defense, right? Ali Seda's skillful and and you know has the skills and the talent, but he hasn't produced. So he so I I think Tehran doesn't have the confidence issues that Alaseda would have. And and he doesn't play in a position where um those confidence things matter 
because defense is, is more about how hard you work. I mean, I, I think in a way it, it does matter because not only us, but, you know, fans and other outlets always scrutinize the defense. Yeah, but that's, I mean, if he comes in onto a good defense and has a couple of mistakes like he's had, um, and, you know, always a young defender, he'll be fine because he's got all, you know, this leadership around him. He doesn't really have that. So the fact that he's as good as he is without that leadership says a lot about his mental makeup. And, and, and honestly, it's just maybe Tehran's mental makeup is different, right? Maybe he's he's harder and, and, and tougher. And, and I don't like questioning toughness as Aliceta doesn't have any. I think they're just different. Because they're, they're, you know, because they're different people. And I think, you know, you have to treat each individual individually, which is a terrible sentence. Um, but, but yeah, I th- I personally, for me, the jury's still out on Allison. I want to see him have another year where also, like, the pandemic is still going on. Right? Like, we, we shouldn't forget that. Like that's still got to take a mental toll on on the guys, right? Like maybe less than last year, but like Aliceta comes in, and he doesn't know anybody, and he's got to sit in a hotel room for two months because of the pandemic or whatever, right? Like he gets here in March and can't do training, and then the world ends and he can't go home. And then um, for someone like Fade, who we know they were trying to get last year, but presumably the pandemic and not being able, meant not being able to sign anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't, you know, move him. So obviously he's going to want to play and not sign for another team where he can't play. So obviously he's going to stay where he is and play. By the way, I, I do want to quickly say um, seeing Fade play in person is it's just sublime. It's just, you know, chef's kiss, okay emoji, all those other stuff. It, it's, it's a joy 100 emoji, fire emoji? Yeah, 100 emoji, fire emoji, all the emojis. But um, it's just beautiful to just see him watch. I mean, it's it's been a while. It, it really has been a while since we've had like a, a player like and, him. And yeah, just seeing him in person, you know, um, it's just really, really nice. Anyway, um, go on. No, that's that's good because, uh, you know, that's a big check mark on the successful signings of George Heights, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'd say Boris Sekulich is probably a successful signing. I'd put him in the win column. I've always rated rated Sakulich. I think. I think um, obviously Luca was a good signing. Yeah. Um, injury or not, um, I think. I think Miguel Navarro is an interesting signing. I think like Tehran. Um, He's growing. Tehran is a good signing. I actually think signing Wyatt Elmsberg after last season, keeping him, was a good signing because he's been good, you know, when he's played pretty much. Like, obviously, mistakes, right, because he's not playing as much and, and, you know, you're sort of out of rhythm. But 
when he's in the game now towards the end of the season, I think he's been satisfactory, which is what you signed him. You signed Wyatt Elmsburg to be a good backup. And I think he's been that. Um, I think that... Um, who's I going to say? Um, yeah. And, and like, so you have... Uh, oh, uh, signing all of the homegrown players... Obviously, signing Slonina, you know, he's 17 years old. He's basically the Fire's number one goalkeeper. And I think he's probably the – he has to be in the U.S. Youth National Team setup. I think he's probably the U-20 number one. Um, I mean, Poland might poach him. I don't think so. I think he'll play for the United States. I honestly, I think the only goalkeepers who are better than him in the player pool at this point are Horvath and Matt Turner. And we saw against New England that he can play against Matt Turner on a worse side, you know. So he 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 can he can do that. Um, I think that. Um, I think getting Misael Rodriguez to sign on the dotted line and a homegrown contract is excellent. I think the fact that because remember we've had a, you know got guys come up through the Fire Academy and not sign and refuse to sign. You know, there's Gutman, there's been others who. Well, like I well in the case of Gutman, I guess. Well, I, right. Not, both of us, you know, don't rate him. Right, we. I, I don't think he's anything special. Um, obviously, Celtic didn't think he was anything, or Rangers didn't think he was anything special because they sent him back. But like, no, was, I think it was Celtic. Oh, uh, was it Celtic? Yeah. But there's been players who, um, the fact that this, this organization can actually sign academy players and not have them go off into the MLS draft or whatever. Um, is 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 progress because we used to not be able to sign any of these guys. Um, but they're signing now. They're signing to play for Heights and Wiki in this system, and that's important. Um, I think th- that fact alone is a major victory. Um, so. I'm willing to basically too long. Didn't read. I'm willing to give Heinz and wiki another year. Yeah. I mean, it all depends on what they do during the winter. And, um, you know, apart from signing more kids, I think they really do need a goal, you know, a goal score. They need a leader mm-hmm. and someone in and the back need, and, and they need to fill the wings. Yeah. And I think that is, I think that is certainly doable. I, especially now with um with more scouts added through you know through Lugano. I mean, you know, we keep saying this about Lugano. The fire actually had more scouts than Lugano. I know, but but it adds an extra region. The fire yeah. had five scouts, and Lugano has three. Five scouts: uh, YouTube, Daily Motion, uh, Vimeo. TikTok. That's four. What's the, what's another? 
Is there still Periscope? No. No. Sort of. Vine. No, Vine's gone. Vine's dead. <laughs> Rip. Um. I don't know. No, no, no. But wherever I mean, videos with trash Euro beat. I'm pretty sure. I mean, like, at, at least you know, with with Lugano's scout, they can focus. You know, apart from and there's nothing wrong with scouting Eastern Europe, but you know, and South America. Yeah. I want the fire to sign more Americans. That's what I want. I want. I want more players from within MLS. Um, I think that's one area where that George Heights doesn't value very much. But I think, you know, we saw in the Nashville game how big an asset a guy like Anibal Godoy is, um, who's just like an MLS squad player. But I, I want a team with more MLS-experienced guys on it. I guess. I mean, it's, it's doable, too. If, again, if they play their cards right, it's doable to have all of that. So we'll see yeah, what happens. That's what I want. I want. I want the fire to have all of that. Um, and I, I, I want them to, uh, to sign more MLS-level talent who's already in the league. That's what I want. Um, anyway, I believe that will do it. For this edition of the North Lot Podcast, you can find us at North Lot Pod on Twitter. You, you can find me at uh, Ruben Tish. You can find RJ at RGA underscore zero two. RJ, uh, real quick, NYCFC at home and then on the road. Uh, on Sunday, um, I don't know where they are on Sunday, but they're somewhere. Three, they have a three o'clock match on Sunday against somebody, um, which I, I will not be able to catch live. I've got a thing. So uh, let's do predictions real quick. Something we haven't done in a while on the show to end it. So let's do predictions quickly. Uh, Wednesday, are the Fire going to be competitive? Yeah, they will. Um, I think it's going to be a narrow 1-0 win for the Fire. And against Toronto, I think Toronto will edge the Fire out 2-1. So you think the Fire will beat the better team and then lose to the worst team? That's how it always happens. That's fair. Uh, Thank you for listening. We will catch you with all of that and whatever news happens next Tuesday uh, on the Hotcast. Have a good night.